0: um i I'll, I'll just like conduct this as like a little interview thing but it's like a casual chat it's not like a big deal or anything uh, but I, I figure uh you have a lot of insights that i need to mine from your brain and you don't have time to write it
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely true I, um, you're very good at, at at putting your insights in public and in and, and writing and, and that's something <laughs> i aspire to get better at but it's it's tough
0: um, I'll, I'll, I'll start this off with the, with the softball, um, which is why do you always go to, uh, the conference for a thing and then tell them not, tell people not to use the thing. So <laughs> the context of this is that the, yeah. like the, the that two that times I've seen come. you speak, uh, the first time was at Jamstack, uh, New York meetup where you told people not to use, uh, Gatsby or Netlify Jamstack. or something yeah. of the sort. And then you went to the next Jamstack GSB. in general. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You, you told you to Jamstack <laughs> meetup and told <laughs> I mean, people not to use Jamstack. The whole thing yeah uh and then you went to next.js conf and then told people not to use next.js i I feel i feel like this is your thing now
1: (laughs) i wouldn't mind if it was um but i mean they're they're very thematically connected i i feel like there's this this wide problem with the maybe it's just this industry and maybe it's everywhere but they're no i really think it is specific to this industry so like you know And we all know that web development is like a relatively young industry, right? On the whole, like it didn't even exist like, what, like 20 years ago, or maybe it just barely existed. Mm -hmm. So compared to like any other job field, it's in its infancy. And so the proportion of people who are new to this job uh, is huge because you really can only be a certain amount of not new to this job while the job even exists in the first place. And then also like, you know, it started out being smaller and more obscure and it's like ramped up so quickly and like how important it is and how well it pays. And you've seen all the boot camps and stuff coming out and just churning out like uh, beginners qualified for beginner roles. And so I feel like the status of the industry is such that like a very much larger proportion than any other industry is made up of people who are kind of like just getting started in this career path and are beginners. And it's so big and it's so complicated and confusing that when you are just getting started, you're looking through this like sea of people telling you what to do and what technologies to use and just floundering and trying to grasp onto something that's real uh and and secure and solid. And marketing departments for companies know this and they've found ways to take advantage of it. And we see those, if you look at any software bootcamp marketing, that's like a crash course and exactly how to take advantage of it, right? You put these, you cram it through these buzzwords, you say, you're going to be from zero to expert, you know, in like a couple of weeks or a month. And these are things that attract beginners. And if you have a lot of people attract your company, your gonna make a lot of money. Um, I, and so, I feel like marketing strategies for software companies and sometimes software companies that promote their companies through software architectures are often pointed at, this is the architecture, you know, like architecture is hard. (laughs) All types of engineering and architecture are hard. You can go in any direction with it. There are an unlimited numbers of problems and there are unlimited different types of solutions to those problems. As a beginner, that is really difficult to grapple with. But if someone comes forth from that sea of problems and solutions and says, you know, we're a really legit company, we came up with this architecture, and like, you can use this to solve any type of problem in the best possible way. That's a very attractive thing to hear uh, for you when you're confused and just starting out on your journey. And so that marketing strategy is really effective. And when I find things like that, it, it saddens me because I feel like, as a beginner, it's almost impossible to resist the pull of that type of marketing. And yet it's wrong. There's no one architecture that's the best way to do all of the things. Uh and there's no one tool or like, you know, open source or not open source tool or platform. Like there never will be and there never is, and there's no field of engineering where that's ever the case. And I want I want for that to not be something that beginners fall victim to because i feel like that can ruin your career legitimately if you get suckered into picking this choice for a a solution for a problem that's not well fit to the solution you can tank your career in an instant and it wouldn't be your fault you know and and that sucks and so i when i see spots where i mean i'll gravitate towards and you will too like solutions that are good and that are innovative and that are great and companies that have good innovative solutions will market those as best as they can for their business and i want to be somewhat of a balancing force in that equation to say you might be coming into this as a beginner you might be seeing all this marketing you might be hearing all these people talking about how good this thing is and how great it is and how it solved all their problems because that's who you pick to speak at your conferences and stuff right And I want to balance that out a little bit and be dramatic in the way I present it so that you listen. But the point I'm trying to get across is not that Jamstack is bad. It's not that Vercel or Next.js is bad. They're great. I've been huge advocates of them and (laughs) have been like part of the pieces of how those things are founding since the very start. But they're not a solve-all. And you want to learn about what it is and you want to learn about what your problem is and you want to figure out if this is the right solution for your problem and not just say, this is the solution. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, you know what I mean, but that's, that's yeah. the theme that I'm driving after with these types of talks. And even after my talk at or conf, I had a few people reach out with specific questions of like, Hey, I'm making this type of site. Do you think this is a good fit for next? And my answer was like, no. You know, I, I had one person reach out and they're like, oh, I had a, you know, I had a friend that's like, you know, trying to get started with like a t-shirt, like custom t-shirt selling like company. And I was thinking of of helping him out by working on his website and I was going to make it with Next.js. Like, you think that, that I'm doing the wrong thing after listening to your talk? I'm starting to have doubts about it. And I was like, yes, I was like you're doing the wrong <laughs> thing. You can use like Squarespace or something for that. And that will more than adequately fit the solution. If you're making a giant like complicated website for like a a startup that's scaling up fast, that's probably when you want to start reaching for thinking about something like Next.js. There are millions of people who have basic, you know, small business e-commerce shops. You don't need to be building out this like custom solution that's built for scalability. You can take something and get to where you need to go much easier. I'll stop talking
0: yeah. now, but you know, yeah, that's a very fair thing. Um, I, I would say, for, I think you're being very dramatic when you say it crashes your career if you if you sort of. Uh, <laughs> I, I think if you genuinely believe that, then you you are making a mistake. Uh, but it can be a good thing to bet on bet your career on one thing. Um, just I mean, just be aware it doesn't solve I'll everything. Hear you out on those. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> I'm just saying, like you know, just uh there's there's merit in just going all out and just being the guy or the girl for like a particular technology, right? Um is because fair? um well just, just in terms of like being uh building expertise uh and not spreading yourself too thin um and and building a network with the core people involved in that. Like I mean, if you're if you're always like if, if you're if you're always like, you know, like the A is good, B is good, like they're all good you know they all if you're always sort of passive uh, and 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 uh very objective like that's that's a very rational state of being for deciding on your company's tech stack but for like personal branding um it can be the opposite it can it, 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 like you, you almost it's very polarizing like you want to you want to just go extreme and, and kind of uh, kind of be kind of be uh betting on betting on a space like if you if you obviously strongly believe in it um because that's how you kind of stand out among among a, you got to be responsible
1: when you do that as you well do. like if if you're if you're like i'm somebody who is a huge advocate of XJS, enormous advocate i mean that's why one of the reasons i was asked to speak at their conference but I'm not going to go to anybody and just be like, you got to use Next.js like it's so good and not even like ask them about like what their problem is. And I think the more like even for personal branding, the more pull and the more influence you have, the heavier the weight you have to attribute to the words that you say are because you could say something and you can have hundreds of beginners looking up to you and listening to your words. And... Taking them literally, and You can say, hey, I, you know, I love like WordPress or something like, yeah, you got to, you know, like WordPress is the best, like you got to use this, like for your websites and stuff. And, and that can be like your angle for personal branding because of what you said, like you got to, got to go all out because that's how you stand out. If in the process, you're harming thousands of people by misleading them and not presenting like a balanced opinion like I'm yeah. not sure I'm down with that type of personal branding uh, and, and I, I think I you have that. to take responsibility for for your for yourself and your and your views and present them responsibly.
0: I think okay, I I agree with that. Uh 100% yeah. um great platform comes great responsibility. That's my Spider-Man line. But um That's hard I, though. We, we, we and we don't have to like I I don't I don't hold this view super strongly, but I just see it among people, right? Like yeah. I see that when Ken C. Dodds um did his big pivot from angular to react and he was just like hardcore react right and and he was he became the guy but like you don't do that if you're always like hedging your bets do you know what i mean like coming coming up it can be really good to 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 really just like decide on a tech stack that you really like and and specialize in that um and and i'm not saying to the exclusion of all the other options i'm not saying like you 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 abuse your authority and 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 advise people regardless of context, all that is super important. I'm just, I'm also saying that it's good to pick a specialty, man. Uh, And sometimes if you pick something early and you pair yourself with that technology on the way up, then you become, you grow with the technology and you become really well known for that core thing. And then you can branch out later, um, into, into whatever else, like, which is kind of exactly my own story, right? like, Like, you um,
1: gotta just frame it. That's the thing. Like if you're going to be that guy, that's for that technology, you can do that. 100% 100% as long as you're clear about what the framing is for when that technology is appropriate for use. Like, I work at HashiCorp and we have a specific like set of problems in front of us and that set of problems is really, really well solved by Next.js. So I'm a big advocate of that in that circumstance. At my previous company, I had a different set of problems in front of me and that set of problems was very well solved by Jamstack. Yeah. My shift between those two companies was really helpful for me and my mindset because I completely flipped what I was an advocate for, right? In for the set of problems that sit in front of me right now, Jamstack is a fairly bad solution. That doesn't mean it's a bad technology. That doesn't mean it's a bad solution in general. Yeah. I you know, I I was part of that technology since well before it was called Jamstack. I was a customer of Netlify since before it was called Netlify. But when you get to experience the fact that like, what you're attached to is not you that's attached to it, it's the problem that you're working on that's attached to it, I feel like you need to make that viewpoint clear. Like you're not the React guy. What you're working on is the React problem and you're here to talk about how React solves that problem. And I think Everyone has a different relationship with that, right? Like, I feel like Kent talked a lot about how his work at PayPal specifically is what, like, led him down that road. PayPal is a big company with a super complicated, ultra interactive product, which is a great fit for React. If you're just making a website for yourself or for your neighbor's, you know, shoe business, like, maybe not so much. So I just want I, I I just want that to like shift from from the technology and the person being the, the couple to the technology and the problem being the couple, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Um I uh, yeah, I I'm also a very strong proponent of don't identify too strongly with your technology. Um in fact, maybe don't, don't yeah, don't. It, you know? Yeah, don't identify sure. at all. Yeah. Um okay. Well, uh we have we have another topic which which I guess yes. uh kind of Leads into your uh, to your to your docs work at, at HashiCorp, uh, which is shortcodes and MDX. Mm. This is a journey that I've been on. I wasn't. I, I was very pro MDX. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to use anything if, if it's not if what, like look, why is an MDX yeah, set yeah, up yeah, yeah. in <laughs> every single docs tool? And then I tried the shortcodes approach, uh, mm-hmm. like which I was aware of. It was just like the amount of setup that I did for uh, for shortcodes was just like very straightforward and never broke. And it yeah. was very backward compatible if like I was I needed to switch tooling, like I knew I knew the injection points and the and where I where I needed to to go. Um, whereas MDX is obviously very tied to React and whatever bundler tooling that you set up in. Absolutely. Uh, and and it's and, and then you have to sort of figure out how it integrates with the rest of your markdown parsing, which you might have some sort of really custom build chain. So the thesis of this that I that I proposed and that you responded to was that uh, I think I have a strong preference for short codes over MDX okay um, and then i would have i mean this is a blog post i was about to write but i i didn't i never got to it um yeah. the the whole argument is that it's more future proof and less fragile that's that's the that's the thing um I'm, I'm curious what your take on mdx obviously you have a very different context than me
1: yeah this will be a good one for us to hash out here i think we will return <laughs> straight to the, the the last theme that we just moved on from honestly like i i, I have to wonder what problem is sitting in front of you versus what was sitting in front of us it was definitely something we discussed uh in detail when we were making the decision uh whether to use mdx or not we're like listen we don't like we can we have a markdown parser uh that we run through and we can make markdown plugins that will accomplish that could potentially accomplish largely the same goals so why would we want to use mdx uh in the first place right yeah and our own decision was made on the back of a couple of things. One of them was the um, one of them was around kind of like customization and standardization. We had a few folks that have done a lot of docs work at, across a variety of companies, and so they had a really nice perspective to add um, on this topic. But once you go down the road of making all of your own custom plugins suddenly you go from having presenting your docs authors or your team of docs authors um, for us it's quite a large number of people with something that's not really markdown anymore you know you can put markdown in front of it of someone who does technical writing and they should i would assume be expected to be proficient in that but once you start customizing it You're not really giving them something that's markdown and where markdown ends and where your custom plugin scheme begins is not always clear. It depends on how you decide to design your plugins, right? You can design them to override or modify core markdown structures to do things in different ways. Like you could say, if you put in a code block, we're gonna put in like an enhanced code block that does all this different shit. And it has these different parameters for languages and file names, or maybe it does multiple files. That's not a markdown code block anymore. So now everybody who comes on, you have your custom system that only you use and you wrote, and you need to train them up on that. So that was one drawback that we discussed um, when we were talking about doing everything custom because we had a lot of custom stuff that we had to put in there and we still do. With MDX, you kind of get a very clear difference between when you're doing markdown and when you're doing not markdown when you're doing, uh, the whole document is Markdown, when you see the opening of a React component and the closing of a React component, you know that that is a zone in your document where you've moved outside of the bounds of Markdown. And so it's very clear for authors what they're getting. Um, and, and, and it's less effort to kind of like train people up on your system and it's less unexpected. Obviously there's still custom functionality and they need to understand what the components are and how to use them and when to use them. Um, but it's not quite as muddy, you know what I'm saying? Um another thing that we talked about was how you can do interactive, highly interactive components uh, using markdown plugins. For anything that just rendered a certain HTML structure, um, it was definitely easier to do using a markdown plugin than it was with MDX. You can just render the output and, and that's what it is. But once you start listening for events. Or adding third-party scripts, um, or syncing up with you know logged in or logged out state and pulling in custom tokens and stuff like that, it starts to get a real hairy um, once you're just writing Markdown plugins because that's exactly the type of problem that like React and similar technologies were built to solve is highly interactive like connected interfaces that are. Networking between different parts of your page and coordinating actions between them. So are you doing a, a markdown plugin that then relies on React anyway? In that case, you're not really choosing much of a different solution from MDX in the first place. Um, or are you trying to write a bunch of jQuery spaghetti code into your into your short codes and then you've got a really messy, difficult to maintain uh, system on your hands? You know what? I'm... So I'll pause there it's... for a sec. I can go into more, but...
0: So, uh, clarifying question, um, each of these pages, are they like unique snowflakes or are there like, you know, tens, hundreds of them that kind of look the same?
1: Uh, I would say they are largely all different. I mean, they all have different contents. So like, are they mostly markdown, just regular markdown? Like, yeah, for sure. Okay. But within any given page, there could be super heavy like component work, or there could be literally zero components, straight markdown page. So
0: yeah, it's a that, that's I think I think that's the that's where uh, I guess you you go for MDX, uh, which is you you need to do super heavy component work in, in your words. Um, sure. And for me, I, I guess the the context of, of what I'm doing is I'm I'm using I'm using markdown or whatever for blogging. And I might inject some dynamic React components every now and then, but, um, I can do that via short codes, right? Like I uh, think
1: that's the right solution for that, for that problem, but for HashCorp's docs, I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of pages, companies scaling up super fast. And I've got this giant queue of requests for (laughs) stuff to add to our docs. You know, like if you've logged in to HashCorp cloud, we want your tokens to go into the examples, you know, we want tabs where you can switch from like Mac, you know windows linux commands to run something and then even within those tabs we might have several different like services like aws or gcp or, or azure and that, that you want to select someone... in between so we've got nested like libraries of tabs i mean we have katakoda examples so they're like these interactive terminals that sit in the middle of our docs and they're like set up with these provision environments so you can like mess around with hashicorp tools like that was just the beginning of it and who knows how that will evolve over time right all of our architecture decisions at this type of company and i mean i'm sure you're familiar with this very familiar being at a company that that's growing and scaling really fast you have to take what you've got in front of you and then extrapolate how that's going to look in the future and then like multiply that times 100 for things that you just don't even know are going to come up and prepare for that (laughs) because it's better to do it seems like over engineering right it really does Uh, because we always say, like, write code for what's in front of you, right? That's the
0: agony, right? The the thing about a
1: startup, you are going to need it. And so you you really have to think about that. If your company's growth trajectory or if your company's forced growth trajectory because it's a venture-founded company is going to look like, you know, an exponential curve, you can't just say, I'm going to only think about what's in front of me right now or else by next month you're going to be rewriting all your shit (laughs) and you're going to stall out on your features. So you really have to consider, like, The future. And that was also a giant incentive behind using MDX for us. It was like limits get removed. No matter how crazy somebody makes a request for something going into our docs, we know we can accommodate it because we can just run a React component and it's done.
0: Okay, uh, I'll I'll make that into my short quotes versus MDX blog post, and I'll kind of. <laughs> uh, I I think this is valuable. I, people don't really think about it too much, and and you and I have probably thought more about it than others. Uh, probably,
1: um, yeah. This is quite a rabbit hole. Uh, it, it goes okay. really.
0: Uh, I I have a weird constraint. Um, I need to stop recording because. Um,
1: get you but it's. I've I've liked it so far. Notion Sweet. just drives me nuts with its performance issues. I just couldn't handle it, so.
0: I know. I, I, I strongly agree. Uh, unfortunately, my company is built on Notion, so. Oh, okay. Cho- well, that's, 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 that's
1: not bad. I mean, you know, we've got, like, Google Docs, uh, and we used to have Confluence, so that's obviously a better one. Yeah.
0: Are you, uh, yeah. Option. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I have yeah, Typora. A... Um, this is the I have heard of that one, yeah. It's it's fast. It's, it does its job. You know, um, they're all they're all good. All right, um, I have a couple more. So the, the plan was uh, is versus pass progress bars oh, for yeah. humans, and then intrinsic motivation, and that was about it. And then whatever you wanted to digress on, yeah, we can.
1: Here's some deep topics. It's good stuff. Thanks for
0: coming up with these, man.
1: That's really cool.
0: I like you know, mm, this is this is a tangent already. <laughs> but do you know about the Feynman twelve questions thing? Don't think so. Okay, so no, I don't. Um, so hmm, no, 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 no. Um, So okay. Richard Feynman, there's this kind of story about uh, about how to be a genius, and Richard Feynman was like, you have to keep a dozen of your favorite problems constantly present in your mind. Most okay. of the time, they're they're going to be dormant, but every time you hear a new trick or opinion or blog post or whatever, you test it against your your problems to see if it like matches your thesis, and then every now and then you're like building this up over time and then and then you have this like long thread of of like these things i've thought thought about for like a year um, and then when you publish yeah. it it becomes quality you know what i mean like and and then people are like you know wow that that that's so genius but it's re- it's really a matter of just like focusing in on a, a, a small subset of questions that you think really matter that you think can be built over time i guess <laughs> I <know. laughs> I think <laughs> I, mean, I need
1: a lot more context to understand that original twelve problems thing. But I mean, like everyone's thinking about stuff all the time. It's just uh, I think that's natural.
0: I, I I recommend it. I mean, you don't have to take it literally twelve, but it's the it's directionally I think correct in, in the sense that uh, being interesting is a combination of like finding interesting problems to work on and then ignoring all the fluff that like you know tech Twitter gets up into sometimes. Um, but like, if you just bang on the, the interesting problems and then find interesting answers and collect, you know, relevant evidence or stories to tell, then you have a real, you're essentially like doing research right on, on this, on this important question, uh, and then people will automatically care because it's interesting. That's
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might be if, especially if someone else has been thinking about something similar, right? Yeah. I don't know. I think that's tough. That's probably one of the biggest, like, holdbacks for me to sharing stuff publicly. Like, I might be thinking about something, and I just don't know where everyone else is at on that topic. Like, they could have already thought about that and figured it out long ago, and they read the thing that I said, and they're like, oh, this is stupid. You know, yeah. like, I'm, I, I, I was thinking about that five years ago, or they might have just not really thought about it at all, and they're like, I don't really know what he's talking about here. Like, this is just a yeah. big topic, and, like, You know, it's the same with like tech talks, right? Like you can give a beginner talk and you know that everyone will understand it, but you know, most of your audience might be bored by it. I've seen beginning tech talks and I'm like, stupid. You know, like I don't need to be here. Uh, But then you can give an advanced one, you can alienate your entire audience like flat out and i've also done that and i asked if there's any questions and nobody puts up their hands and one person asks a question that's like completely out of left field and indicates that they had no idea what i was talking about i'm like okay well i thought i did a bad talk you know like it might have been interesting to me like where i was at with my thinking about that problem but like yeah it's hard for me to like take where I'm at and like, just assume that everyone else is also like at that same spot. But that's kind of like why I liked your format of throwing these things out here. You weren't shoving it down anyone's throat. You're just like, here's where I'm at at these spots. Anyone at the same spot, I want to talk about it. And like, you know, <laughs> there were a couple hits and there were a few things you put in there. I didn't drop a comment in cause I was like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> by, by the way, uh, so uh, I might be working with uh, a publishing company to to essentially take up my writing a notch um, That's so Dan and Nathan are, are kind of in this as well and working nice. with me on these topics. That's it might awesome, be a thing, man. man. It might I, I might I might hold, might be a might be pivoting to be a professional writer or something. That would be great. <laughs>
1: that would be really cool. That's
0: um, super exciting. Uh, for, for what it's worth, my take on that is uh, give up on making everyone happy. Uh, yeah. Just write to you know write to a, a friend that you have who like you think yeah. is you know reasonably smart but like lacks the 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 time or experience that you have uh or, or write to yourself from like six months ago right that's the classic advice totally. and i
1: think it just depends on the platform if you're just writing something and putting it out there people can read it or they cannot care about it and that's yep. what it is you know if you're talking to an audience that's a little bit different of a story
0: <laughs> it also it also doesn't have to make an impact the day of so yeah you you can write the thing as like your stored explanation of stuff. And then now mm-hmm. from, from now to forevermore, whenever someone asks you for your opinion on whatever you can just send it to them. And and that's like a yeah. huge time saver, but it also gives more context than you probably can afford in like the short, like come up with a re- response for me right now on like <laughs> on this topic.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, So, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the way I kind of think about it. Um, awesome.
1: All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it, it- it pushes you to really put a lot of thoughts out there. I think it's, you know, I said it before, but I think it's great.
0: My my commitment right now is publish once a week, um, and it's hard enough uh, with a with a with the job. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But sometimes, Especially like, just I just start. get like the whole the whole reason I put this out was like I just have too many ideas. I I don't know which one which one of these to work <laughs> on. So, so getting feedback on 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 this is is really helpful. So yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Glad I did it. Okay. So IS versus pass. Um, so, so my context of this is, i um, trying
1: to record this still. Oh, we are recording. Okay. We are
0: recording. Um, thanks for checking. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Even if we don't record, like, you know, we had the conversation Like that was the whole point. Yeah. Um, the, my context is when I came up through web development, I used Heroku and it, it got done. It, it wasn't perfect, but it was like, I didn't have to mm-hmm. buy a digital ocean box and like, log in and like set up pm2 or whatever uh heroku just did it for me and i was like okay pass is the future and i was like then you you learn a bit more about cloud and you realize that um that people tried passes in the past and it kind of it it like it worked for a small community but the really big money was in is um and and so so i think i think you and i here kind of have the same conclusion which is that um, you want customizability. I, I don't know. This, this <laughs> okay. Let me let me let me try and summarize what I think happens, uh, which was okay. um, actually my, my meta takeaway is that don't try to leap too many abstraction levels at a time. Which actually, you know, to bring this back to Next.js, is what happened versus Next Next.js versus Gatsby. Um, Next.js had a very small API surface area, and and also by the way, React versus Angular, React versus Vue, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you have a small addition that just solves a very core problem and then let everyone else build, build around you. Um, And that, that seems to be a reliable solution for success or reliable method for success rather than being the all-in-one. Sorry.
1: That's your whole job, right? You don't, you don't, you know, that, have you seen that, that graphic where they show like, you know, the building of the car and they have one option that's like, you know, a scooter and then like a bike and like a car and then the other one where there's you know just the wheels yeah 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 this one right i mean that's that's the you're just saying a a true encapsulation of that image like that is how you have to do product development and people have tried to go zero to ideal solution before but like that's not how you do it because you got to get feedback right you design the mvp a minimum viable product and then you build on top of that in stages and i think that having infrastructure as a service or having react was a necessary step before the next steps. On top of that, I mean, we're saying the same thing here, but it's just it's just going it's going step by step. You can always like have this vision for how you want things to be in the future, and I think that's an important vision to have. But if you chase that vision directly instead of going for the the most basic primitives underneath it, like you're not going to get anywhere.
0: Well, so the the I guess the more non-consensus view is that that was the history of cloud, right? Now it's about 20 years or 15 years old. Mm. And now I think both of us are kind of in the, in the, in a, of the opinion that it's time for cloud. Is it, that, um, sorry.
1: Yeah, I, I could, i I'm could sorry. It's time for pads. It's... Well, yeah. I mean, AWS is like pretty stable, right? I yeah. mean, all the, all the cloud platforms are like, they're adding more stuff, they're trying to get faster, they're trying to get more competitive pricing, but they're like established products, you know, there's not really any room for competition in that space anymore. And I I think think that's a preferred space to get into, right? If you're talking about before we had AWS, do you want to build platform as a service or do you want to build infrastructure as a service? You said this yourself, but the answer seemed to be you want to build infrastructure as a service. because That's where the money's at, which is true because every platform as a service has to use infrastructure as a service. <laughs> so if you have locked down the lowest primitive, you're going to have a stake of every company that's built yeah. larger abstractions on top of you. That's a great place to be setting, no doubt about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the
1: Think about how much stake AWS has in Netlify or in Like You know they're paying them. As Vercel grows... AWS grows, so they don't have any problems with us existing. I'm sure. I would hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess the non-consensus view, and I, I, it's, you know, it pains me to say this because I'm a shareholder in Alify, um, is, is, are, are the ISs con- going to continue to squeeze all the air out of the, the, the space, and then, and then the, the, you know, it's like the platforms individually, fighting each other for scraps of an overall market, and then paying the, you know, <laughs> paying the overall big cloud. <laughs> I mean that's
1: a good question, right? Like I mean yeah. Cloudflare's starting to dip their toes into that AWS is starting to dip their toes into it, but they're behind. You know, they could have said like, "Hey, we're solid on like our infrastructure service. Now we are going to build a product on top of it, and we're going to be able to crush competition because we can give ourselves a discount on our own services, right? We can build better integration." But it doesn't seem like that's really happened. Uh for any of those services, and people are going to companies like Mellify and like Vercel
0: and like Heroku
1: for these types of things. I know AWS is working hard at that, though. I'm sure you know better than I do.
0: <laughs> I was part of it. Um, <laughs> I think that it's it's weird for me. Like for me, it's 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 very clear that the 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 main money makers are still the uh, the underlying infrastructure and yeah. the margins or like the the incremental innovation at the top layer is is not that interesting to be honest like Cloudflare is probably doing the most interesting work uh, in my opinion um uh but like yeah
1: i guess it's all about margins for them right if they've if they've squeezed all the money they possibly can out of their infrastructure layer and they've got nothing left to make money off of there then i guess the next logical step is they have to up to platform in order to keep increasing the revenue but like if they've still got infrastructure work left to do how would they be able to prioritize platform work over the infrastructure work right if there's more money to be made
0: yeah yeah um anyways you know I, I think it's an interesting question because it was a big misstep by microsoft uh, microsoft was actually pretty early onto the pass game uh they, they bet uh very heavily on on this um yeah, what did they have I'm not uh, familiar with them. this was yeah this is the whole like it's fascinating um let me
1: uh, i never got a chance to read through that that oh, that's Q&A. Right. maybe i should
0: yeah okay so this is this is the history was of azure.
1: azure their platform
0: at one point it, it became their platform but originally they bet on the past and this is the whole reason why amazon uh, microsoft is behind aws they bet on the wrong horse it, Man, i
1: wasn't even watching microsoft at this point because all their software was like so bad I feel like they turned around their like image in the in the dev community yeah. at one point. But they, they yeah, used interested. to be like, you know, like they used to be the closed company. You know, like they didn't work with the community. They made like their own like closed source software and it wasn't compatible with anything else. And it was like buggy and it was like enterprise like focused and like slow, like that, that was kind of like, I feel like what the opinion was of Microsoft for such a long time. I wasn't even paying attention to original Azure. <laughs> I was like, I would never use this. I'm not going to spend my time looking at it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, and, yeah, I and shouldn't have the tunnel vision there yeah.
0: for uh, it, it worked out, uh, but I mean, obviously I think Azure is doing very well now. So, you know, things have yeah, changed.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think big, big player.
0: I think the history is interesting, right? So like, because everyone wants this, um, they they're like just let me write my code right uh like take care of all this stuff for me and then just let me write my code yeah. right this is yeah, this yeah, is logic yeah. um totally. but and so so microsoft tried to go from here to straight to here and then aws went from here straight to to is and that, that was like the okay. big thing and and the history is very fascinating because like microsoft with the reigning kings in operating systems right it's like this is all just operating yeah. system stuff like take your desktop operating system and rewrite it for to make it a cloud operating system, and that's literally what they did. Um, Dave Cutler is the guy behind Windows NT, and, and they put him on um, Red Dog, which is their, their kind, of, kind of code name for for what the cloud operating system was going to be. Um, and it failed. <laughs>
1: so, why, so why do you think it failed?
0: I uh, um, I honestly like if I were were to write this up, I would have a stronger thesis, but I don't. Uh, as far as I as far as I know, people just wanted AWS's stuff more. It was, it was a sm- lower level primitive that people understood. Um, so, so this is the history of Red Dog. I, I kind of linked it in there. Um, and okay. and yeah, they 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 it, they took like five six years to pivot to Azure because they saw AWS running away with the market. Um, and it was just a fascinating wrong bet that if they just went the other way, it, it could have been Microsoft on the top.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's why.
1: <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not like the best person to speak to that because I'm not like really deep into ops. Like I, I never yeah. wanted to do ops. Any ops that I did, I was like, I would rather pay somebody else to do this so that I could focus on like making a better product. Not that I didn't enjoy learning about ops, but yeah. you know, if there's an opportunity for me to just like abstract that down and keep working on the product, I would take that. So I never went super deep.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Into it. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of history. Um, anyway, uh, I, it's it's an active area of research. I think it's an interesting question, but maybe not super relevant. There, people, because you know, kind of the answer is obvious. Ah, um, all right, next question. Yeah, sure. Progress bars for humans. Okay, you had some feedback on this one. Uh, okay. bars.
1: Forget what it was.
0: Um. So how about I give you my context for what why. I I would never have this is not the kind of blog post that I would write um, because I I don't think it's that interesting. I'm not I'm not like a huge productivity guy, even though I do. I have written about productivity. I just I don't view myself as very productive. Um, This is like
1: project management, though. I mean, this isn't just personal productivity. This is all project management. Like I can when I work with different levels of like engineering staff, I change my behavior in this regard. Like for someone who's junior, I will break, I'll take a large abstract problem. Like our documentation only accounts for the current version, right? Like that, if you give that to a junior and say, we need a solution to this. Lost. You're yeah. you're mean. I mean, first yeah. <laughs> of all, you're mean. But second of all, that's just too big and too complicated of a problem to handle. And so you need to break it down. And as you scale up this, ladder in the career as a manager at least you should be giving them a less broken down version of that task and expecting them to take up some of the slack in the breakdown but I mean I think that's an interesting topic alone in that like I don't think I really thought about that for the majority of my career was like the 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 importance of breaking down problems into smaller problems in your career progression you know i it it almost has an exact linear correlation with career progression i feel like (laughs) in that like think about as someone running a company how valuable it is to give somebody this giant vague problem space and just be like clean like you know washing my hands of that like i'll trust that it's going to be worked out versus you needing to be involved in kind of like guiding it along. I mean, there's so much relevance to that. And it's a really hard skill too, I mean, which is why it maps to career profession.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I kind of think, so I, I'm curious what your view is on this. Um, I view that now as my my job as a product manager to do that um, because I have a bunch yeah. of engineers, they can code, uh, but then also they, they, they're they not necessarily being pointed the right way. Um, but then at the same time- Sounds
1: like you're an engineering manager then, right? Because
0: you know what's the difference right like sometimes like a really involved I think PM and EM are two separate when really they should be more integrated which is I don't know if it's like a controversial view or not but like I don't see anyone running that way I think
1: there could I mean it really depends on what org you're at but you could draw you could draw a line there just saying like a PM will break down a problem as much as it's possible to break down before you enter the realm of being technical about it right so they could say like you know a ceo comes to me and says hey like uh to the pm and goes, i'm just making this up <laughs> and says like hey you know we've been having a problem with our sales in the asia pacific region it's like okay there's a big wide problem with no clear path to a solution they could go look into the data they could, you know run some user studies and shit and like you know figure out like why are sales dipping and it's because like you know we don't don't have a translated website, and so they don't find it as accessible. That's where the PM's role would end, because they don't really know how to get any farther there. With an EM, they could figure out how to design the architecture of the website to be able to be translated. How are we going to do the translation? How are we going to run the URLs? Like, saying we need to internationalize our website is a technical task that obviously is not junior compatible right and so it comes to the manager and they break that down into okay we're going to talk to some vendors we're going to look at some different like software we're going to look at how other people have done this technically right it crosses this realm from being a business problem to being like an engineering problem that would be my like very hot take on like where those split (laughs) but that's the hottest take ever because I know nothing about it
0: well, i don't think it's all take at all i think i think that makes a lot a lot of sense um the the, the tricky part is
1: me, but it's not necessarily accurate
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we, we're just kind of shooting shit um uh i mean there, there are technical pms though you know um and in fact that's sure. the majority of what we had at aws and they were amazing
1: i would just call that an em though like i but would we just had separate you him, as well. you gave them a different title you know you just if you're if you're technical enough to break down and, and determine what the steps are for figuring out how you're going to architect a technical solution you could call yourself whatever title you want but you are you're involved in engineering
0: yeah it's true you know? It's true um if you I, don't
1: have engineering in your title and you're doing engineering that's just a title confusion like issue that's a semantic issue not like a technical one
0: yeah yeah i agree um all right well we're not going to solve that um anyway so uh <laughs> my my your so you're you take a very organizational view like um breaking things down I, and I, for what it's worth i agree and i think it's a very core it's it's very it's very strange like it's a very core so- software engineering problem right like especially if for example you're giving someone like a programming interview we even tell people to do that like take the problem break it down into steps and then try to pseudocode it and then solve it you know something like that
1: you wouldn't or you would
0: uh you would uh, in, in most cases
1: yeah sure yeah
0: um, I mean, so, or you could not. I could think it depends on who you're
1: interviewing, right? If yeah, you yeah. expect that there should be in a, enough of a leadership position that they know what to do with the problem, you could just say, like, there's a at problem. It. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to tackle this type of thing? And just, you, know, you don't even have to tell them to break it down into steps. <laughs> you shouldn't. I mean, that would be an interesting test, to be quite honest, for a higher-level employee.
0: Uh, it, it would, um... That's essentially what I did. I mean, I can show you my, my interview doc for, for uh, Temporal, uh, which is essentially, they're like, we need web. And then- We need web. So this is what I did. I, I, I did like the whole oh, like okay. uh, phase one, phase two, phase three. And then like I-, I Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so that,
1: that tells you a lot about, about you know, what, what level of responsibility you can give an employee. Yeah, how they would approach something like we need web <laughs> <laughs> you know? one way is to say what are you talking about exactly
0: oh well um okay so so uh, i'll just give you a bit more context because I, I feel like we we kind of covered this already uh but like when i when i wrote the book um which i think you you were we were chatting about previously yeah. but also by the way invitations still open if you want to co-write the next version um <laughs> oh
1: man
0: um i i you know, i literally did we'll this talk right like, about
1: it that would be um, a push I, it would be pushing but for me but like you know it's good to push yourself so
0: exactly um, and also like um, I think yeah. people want um, yeah people just people want different voices and, and I just think it'd be be great to, yeah. to loop in someone in like um, the queue yeah there's there's the traditional Kanban board but really the the way that I did it was like all of these things uh, this is the table of contents all of these things used to be black they used to be um, there used to be markdown and bullet points and then, and then my whole job every day was for two months, I just woke up and then turned one black thing into a blue thing. And that was like my progress bar for, for finishing a hundred thousand word book. Um, and and when I told that story to someone, they were like, that's the most fascinating thing I, I've ever heard. And I was like, really? Uh, it's just that's how you do things.
1: How else would you do it? Yeah, I I that.
0: Anyway, so that, that's, what, that's what was the prompt for like progress. Okay. Like make wow. your own progress bar. Right. Like if you if you're taking on some massive task that you're like, fuck it, I'll never finish. I have um, to just, break it down. Yeah. Yeah. You have to.
1: Yeah, it's probably better to have somebody else on here who doesn't do that and is still functional and ask how they get things done because that (laughs) would be really interesting to me i just can't conceptualize another way to solve a big problem other than breaking that down to small problems that on its own is a useful insight but that is a good way to solve problems especially for people earlier in their careers but like man, i'm just curious how that other person like handled i'll give you i'll give you an alternative
0: Uh, have you come across hill charts from Basecamp?
1: because you just flounder with it if it's too big um uh, no no i haven't
0: so uh the problem with a lot of engineering right is sometimes you don't know what you don't know right and
1: yeah, always right <laughs> and, and so
0: so we, we get this ridiculous task of like trying to estimate things that we don't know and then like put story points on it and i think it's kind of you know I, i'm very sympathetic to the to trying to find an alternative i don't know if this is the answer but i like it which is um you you don't know what well, you don't know. You you don't know how long really sometimes things will take, but you do know if you're an upslope or if you're a downslope. You you just you you, you don't know how far forward or how far back you know things things yeah, things extend. We do
1: like a discovery,
0: but you we look at the ground like you're on. Are you are you us. uphill or are you downhill? Right. Yeah. yeah. If um, we have a
1: problem for us at least at HajiCorp, we will kick off that problem with a single task, which is just you know called like discovery, like. I'll pull back my internationalization thing. We're not gonna attempt to break down that problem. We don't know shit about it, right? We put a task that's like internationalization discovery and we time box it. So we say, take, you know, whatever. Like, we'll decide what the time is. Take take two hours, take six hours, take one day. Um, Let's look into this. Then you come back with what you figured out. Like, here's a few different tools. Here's a few different ways we can do it. We chat about it with the team and then we start breaking it down, and then we can have an estimate, right? I think that's the same thing as this diagram, roughly. But yeah, if yeah. you don't know it, if you don't know what you're even trying to do, there's no way to break it down. Impossible.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. They they have uh, this is an old Definitely thing cool. that they pushed. Uh, they have an updated one called Shape Up, uh, which kind of they say. That, that I read things... a
1: little bit of that. Like uh, a I should have read more, cycle. but yeah, yeah. That's a big. Uh, that was a, that was a long book.
0: I should I should probably try and summarize this because I I feel like I I, I've absorbed parts of it. It's it's free online. I would
1: read that. It's just it's just lengthy, man, and I only have a certain amount of time to read stuff. And I feel like our own project management process is like very good as it is, and so it's just like not a priority for me to consume this entire thing. Even though I know there's probably things I could learn from it and and improve. Yeah, we just don't have a problem.
0: I'm very against (laughs) yeah. Don't uh, fix what broke.
1: To non-problems, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Um I have another one which is um Okay th- this is this is a little bit tied to what you were just talking about with the uh, with the whole handing things off uh, to people uh, like when when hiring um Okay so the analogy that uh, have you ever played with Lego Mindstorms
1: No I have not
0: So they're, they're this there is um uh, Lego uh thing where you I've could make lego programmable um and and then the key part of it was this box where it had the cpu and had the battery oh, and it had okay. it had the it, it could run it. code so then instead of oh, playing like playing lego and it, like you made the thing and it just stood there right um, yeah uh, here you could make robots but it needed this 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 unit right to to, to plug right, in there right, right, and right. then then it would start moving by itself then it would start executing code and autonomous mm-hmm. autonomously just doing shit um, and man, I always think about that. Cool. So, like, uh, when uh, there are some people, <laughs> and like this can get a bit polit- political. There's some people who are just Lego sure. Lego bricks. Like they, they do the thing that you ask of them, right? And then there's the yeah. other people who, who are like have the have the unit, and they they like you stick them in there, it powers up the whole team, or a project. I
1: think that's career progression, man. Like there was there were many years in my career where I would just do the things that were asked me because I was learning how to do the job. <laughs> I didn't know how to do anything so even when i just right like processing this whole giant problem was out of range for me if i was given a small piece of that problem that was enough of a bite size for me to, to bite into it at this point if i take a little bite-sized task and it's assigned to me it's a chore i've already learned how to do it i've done it hundreds of times it's boring i'm learning nothing from it right but for a junior engineer that thing that you might consider a chore at this point in your career is really valuable learning for them as they figure out how to like get css like organized and like well you know structured or they figure out how to like write html and stuff so like i think that's just scale yeah i don't think it's like one person is like dumb or like they don't know how to do stuff it's just that as you learn and you get better through your career the, the scope of things that you know how to do increases as normal, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off on that.
0: No, I mean, I, I think that's, that's correct. Um, I, I guess I was, I was on a different tangent, but maybe it's like a parallel <laughs> tangent.
1: Okay, keep going. Sorry for jumping in. Keep going. No,
0: no, no. So for me, it's, for me, it's like, um, it, it very much is this analogy, right? Like that you have intrinsic, like you have the, the power, the the power core, <laughs> whatever you call it uh, for, for, you know, I kind of called it the reactor core. Um, but yeah. uh, it, to me, it's like intrinsic motivation that that you want to push on things that you want to proactively raise ideas. Um, so it's not just about breaking things down. It's also about like um, owning a, a domain and then coming up with, with things that are good for the company that you, you weren't necessarily asked to do. Um, that of course leads you to, to be the kind of person that people can hand, Things vague do, problem domains to you, and then and then you sort of break things down from there. Um, but for me, it, it was it was very much like a, a very strange conflict between um, you want to hire people with intrinsic motivation because they 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 want to act like an owner of the company, um, but because they're not an owner of the company, they're they're an employee of yours. The there's like the principal agent problem where they you know a lot, a lot like a lot of times. Um, I will have an opinion on what is best for the company. But then, um, you know, like if, if, if management disagrees or if I'm being told to do something else, like it's better to make people internally happy than it is to really push for my vision of like where, where I think things should go. I don't know if that's coming across to you or not.
1: <laughs> no, uh, that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. I feel like when you put in that situation, that's a good challenge for you. There have been plenty of times where I've had an idea of where something could go and like, you know, whatever, somebody who's more important than me didn't agree with it. I mean, I'm sure everyone has had that experience at some point in their career, if they've had a long enough career, but I don't really view that as a blocker so much as I view it as like a, as a, a opportunity for growth. Yeah. You know, like you need to prove yourself. If you like, did they shut you down? I guess there's two ways that can happen, right? You made like a really good like case for it. And they were just like, no, (laughs) that's probably a shitty company, right? So I would, I would want to leave at that point. If they counter argued your case, and they had a really good counter argument, but you still think you're in the right, that means you've got more work to do to like, you know, show and prove Yeah. Yeah, what what's on your side, and that's an opportunity for you to grow. But yeah, I feel like if you're if you're trying to Put something forward and you have an idea for how to make something better and someone just says no and they're not even willing to talk about why <laughs> like that's a big red flag i'm out man <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> that's yeah. not acceptable that's not like and also that's not what's going to make a good company like they, you, you you're not going to work there and imagine it's going to be a successful company if the people running the company are going to hear an idea and shut it down with no debate whatsoever like this It's not possible. I don't think you can grow a good company out of that mindset. I
0: think, uh, well, I think it's very rare that people just shut you down outright. I think there's, there's ways to be obstructionist is kind of what I think about it, like, to kill it in committee like it's like a uh, like, like good idea but like you know like could you run it through yeah five, five that's different a
1: challenge though because now you got to work your now you got to work politics and now you got to work relationships right like you well, could get around those things
0: too. is that my job you know how much of my job is yeah, should man. be should be it is your job <laughs> okay, it wait, totally I, is your i'll job. refine it how much of my job should that be right like it is it is it 90 percent? no you know um uh, well, probably it. it's not it's not zero
1: yeah i think that's something that you need to make a personal cutoff for like if it's if it's taking too much of your time and you always have to convince people of stuff and you always end up convincing them of it but it takes a really long time (laughs) and they don't trust you like yeah that's probably a bit of a problem with the company like for sure i could see that but like you know i mean that's that's just part of any job as you start going up like you're i think being a dev becomes more about being able to convince people of stuff as you rise up the leadership ladder more and more and more. I mean, I do some amount of it. My boss, it's like his whole job. You know, he hardly writes code at all. He's going around to people in the company with these ideas that we've incubated on my team for how to make things better. And he's trying to figure out how to shop them. You know, he's going around to teams that we rely on in order to get our work done who are inefficient. And he's trying to inject his own thoughts of how to make those teams more efficient so that our work can get unblocked in a way that's not forcing them to do it. Right. Like seeding these like little ideas in their brains and like showing them instances where like, if we like, it's, it it becomes this politics show. And if you have the ability to do that, you can be such a powerful and positive influence on an organization that it's a a really is an incredibly impressive skill and it's super difficult. Um, So like, I feel like you can see it as something bad or you can see it as something good, a way for you to become better at working with people and convincing people of things that you believe are right, which is like an incredible skill to have as an employee.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I've got mixed opinions. I, I agree with you that it's a very valuable skill. I I have mixed opinions on how much of my, my life I want to spend on doing that. Um, yeah. Which, which, which like, I think it's fundamentally one of the reasons why I don't like being at big companies. Um, wh- yeah. Which, which is a tough realization to have, because like I may want to run a big company someday and, and that, that, that may be the kind of system that I set, set up for myself. I, I, I don't know. Anyway. um, Yeah.
1: This- well, maybe you can, maybe, I mean, I don't know how it's different if you're at the top or not. Right. Like if you're at the top, you kind of by default get to be the, The one who makes the call, but at the same time, I don't think that it should matter if somebody who's below you in org structure comes forward with an idea that's different than yours, or you put out an idea and someone that's below you in the org structure opposes that idea. I don't think you should ever be steamrolling them anyway.
0: No, yeah, yeah, you should be. Uh, right? I mean, or, or else you're doing
1: exactly that. what I just said before. It was, you know, the type of company you don't want to be working at. So, <laughs> so I my think name's no on the door. So are, listen to right? me. <laughs> yeah, like no matter where you are in the career ladder, I think this skill is like equally important. I think it's just a matter of like how many people are involved right like do you need to go to like 50 people to get something across at a startup probably not right you don't even have 50 people <laughs> at a <laughs> yeah, big company like yeah for sure you're gonna you're gonna have to do that um
0: we we do have a lot of stakeholders so we have open source stakeholders we have customers and then we have our people um so it's not just employees do you feel
1: like you have too many though or do you feel like it's an appropriate number for the company size
0: oh for us yeah yeah fine. I'm I'm fine with it um this is not a comment about my existing situation my current situation right. it's more I just general
1: and whatever past situation yeah. you're referring to here which i, I will I... not specify any further
0: exactly i um i have i've had i have had this issue these issues and it's kind of yeah. kind of me working through it but also trying to find something insightful that i wish i knew or that I will take with yeah. me in future situations. I don't know. Anyway, I, I this hard, is one of the, the less developed. Every one
1: situation and... is so different, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> about being really pragmatic in the situation you're in, and I think it's a lot about having support too. Like we we're just talking about this with with a group of managers having support, on my oh, team about oh, like peer yeah, about how grateful we are for like you know like making big decisions and pushing for big initiatives is really hard and like really complicated. And when you're going at it yourself, it's like stressful. Whereas having another peer that you can talk through these decisions with, and they really understand them and you can come to a consensus on it. Mm -hmm. It makes so, so big of a difference. Like we have a group of four people that we have these chats with about the team and about, and about where we're going with things and about our projects. And God, I can't imagine just having to do it myself. I can't imagine it would be so much worse. And we were all talking about this and we all had the same sentiment, like how grateful we were for having a group of yeah. people doing this where we could sit down and we could have time to talk about these projects and and rationally go back and forth on different standpoints and come to a consensus and move that forward. Because it wasn't just one person making a call or one person having an idea. It's us as a, as a group, as a team having this idea.
0: Yeah. Are they all in different parts of the org so you don't overlap at all? Is that, is that how it works? No,
1: they're all on the same team. We oh. all have diff- slightly different expertises, right? So like one person's more people oriented, one person's more technical, and person's more, yeah. I mean, we all have different sets of connections, but it's like when something comes in, it's so it's, it's, it's so different to have the support of other peers when you're trying to work on an idea or when you're trying to push an initiative forward. Yeah. than it is being on your own doing that like it's dramatic the difference
0: yeah uh, classic like in writing circles that's kind of called a mastermind group right or, or creator circles yeah. um but the, yeah. the the theme typically there is that they they don't have overlap so you are free to bring up like personnel issues which might be political but like no one no one you know in the group is involved so they can just give like an objective opinion um or you can we'll just kind still of rant.
1: talk about that stuff <laughs> but maybe that's just our vibe yeah i think it's the yeah, same. i think your team is just like really is it not sorry like when you're doing screenwriting for a show they don't have one one person writing it they've got like this group of people we did a workshop on this recently it was really interesting you did Um, yeah crazy enough as part of one of our marketing events they brought in the screenwriters for new girl to do to run this like event and they had it wasn't like one person telling a story it was this group of people that like had these ideas of like oh you know it was so funny right i had this idea of like I just had a baby and there are so many crazy ridiculous things that are involved with having a baby. That would be a really funny, like premise. And then other people have these other ideas for like, Oh, well, you know, we could have this person have to babysit. And then, you know, that would be the episode. And they're like, Oh, well, once I was babysitting and like, you know, like went to the park and people thought it was my baby and it wasn't, and it was awkward. And it, and it was just this, like, everyone was involved. And the way that it came out, and this is the same way with our management meetings, the way that it came out was so different than if one person had just been like running the show and like writing the story because everybody's experiences wove together and they all like built off of each other and all the time in our meetings like I'll come up with some idea and I'll come out of that meeting with a dramatically different result because I got everyone else's thoughts and feedback and we slowly shaped it into this thing that we could all be like, yeah, that's it. You know, like, and it, it, you feel much less alone that way. I know this is not actually a normal like management structure for companies, but we've somehow just like informally put it together and man, it, it, it really makes a world of difference. I just feel much more supported and much yeah. less like I'm battling, you know, like the man, like you're kind of describing. <laughs>
0: um yeah you I think you're, you're you're really lucky there um what you described reminds me of a really old post that I did uh on ensembles uh versus committees um
1: am mm. gonna have to check that one out
0: where uh what you had with the screenwriting group is ensembles where it's kind of uh, yes and and sort of yeah, maximizing yeah, yeah. Exactly. unique talents whereas committees are great for risk reduction where you're looking for covering blind spots and getting buy-in um, but then there are trade-offs to each of them, so I kind of explored that uh, in in this in this in this post. Um, yeah, I'm not they sure talked to...
1: about the whole yes and thing. Like I, I've done some improv classes too, and I'm familiar with that. But they talked a lot about that in the um, in the screenwriting thing, and I was like, this is interesting because the way it actually went wasn't like that at all. <laughs> like people came out with ideas that were stupid, and <laughs> they were just you know like they did. Like there were a lot of ideas that were discarded, and because they emphasized saying yes and, nobody was like, nah, I don't think we should go with that one, like, and here's why. It was just that someone threw out the idea and it would kind of be ignored.
0: Yeah. And then
1: someone else would throw out another idea.
0: Like, I, I don't really do believe
1: it. in the whole like, yes and, like business, except for in improv. Like in <laughs> improv, you kind of do have to do that because you're like on the spot. But if you're talking about something and trying to make a decision, like yeah, you can go yeah. down a wrong path and that's like, okay. And you yeah, should be doing devil's advocate. Every discussion we have somebody, at least one person's running devil's advocate. Even if it's the person who came up with the idea, I will devil's advocate my own ideas often, right? Like where are the holes in this? Where are the flaws in this? Cause if you haven't done that, you haven't like solidified it, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's that's fair. Um. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm just... I think it's, I think yeah,
1: it's no, you don't have to be good anywhere. No.
0: <laughs> um, I think that's it for, for like the, the topics that I kind of prepared. Um, I'm curious, like if you have any other like blog posts that are kind of incubating in your head that you want to get out, but you never had the time.
1: <laughs> I should, um, I should, I should have more. I mean, I think a lot of it is, is it's management and like people stuff that I kind of sit on and I need to be better about writing them down. I think probably the biggest one is, um, and this is stupid and everyone knows it, which is why I never write anything down. But like when you're thinking about a strategy for something that you always have to think from your opponent's perspective, and this seems very obvious and it is, but I feel like when you're getting started with some type of, any type of task, I mean, with anything you're doing, there's some opponent. It might not be like one you know, villainous person, but there's like something that you're up against. Um, and I feel like when I'm new at anything, I will, I will think about my own strategy over everything because I'm trying to figure it out. Like, how am I going to do this? But that's always a losing move. The winning move is to think about what your opponent's strategy is and then counter it. You know, if you get too wrapped up in what you're doing, you end up having this tunnel vision that doesn't lead you to a place where you can be successful. And I see the same theme like coming up and like repeating itself over and over and like all of these different domains, even like, here's a stupid example, you know, the game code names.
0: Oh names. I have no, I haven't played it.
1: Oh, you haven't? This is like the most this is literally the most popular like game. It's the one where they have like these different words that you lay out in a grid on the table. I'm sure you've played this so far. You lay out these little word cards and they're all just written words, like you know, Apple and like dog and stuff like that. And then you make teams, you make two teams between like whatever group of like friends you have over. And then there's a card that comes out that shows which words each team has to. Get correct in order to win. I'm very bad at explaining rules games, so I'm sorry. (laughs) So, there's one person who's going to give clues to try to get the rest of their team to guess the words, but they can't use the word. So, they get this little grid and it shows like the red and the blue words. And if you're the red team, you have to, you gotta have like dog, apple, spaceship, you know, like golf, whatever, whatever. And you have to say to your team one word that can get them to guess other words. So if you had like, I don't know, like if two of your words were like hand and foot, you could say like body and your team would have to guess hand and foot. Uh, But there could be other words that are like, you know, close to those that would, that they also might guess. So you have to think about, I mean, you have to think from your opponent's perspective at like so many levels in this game. First, you have to think about based on the word I say, what would the people on my team be likely to guess? And then, if you're bad at this, you look at just, I mean, you're, it's really hard if you're giving clues. It's really fucking, difficult. it's very stressful. You're like looking at your matrix of words and you're trying to like say, okay, you know, like dog, golf, spaceship, like what word can I possibly give that would get lot people guess this. And you might give a clue without really taking the time to look at all the other words, all your opponent's words, all the words in between. And you'll give your clue and your team will guess like your opponent's word because You weren't focusing on that much. You know, you were focusing on your own words because you're trying to figure out your own strategy for what you give and you're like, ah, shit. You know, like I blew it because I didn't look at the bigger picture. And then in the same way, you need to think about what, you need to look at your opponent's whole board as well and figure out what kind of words would they give and what what are their easy combos and what are their hard ones? Because you can try to trip them up by making sure that you leave your words on the board that make it hard for them to do combos without no, them accidentally guess right that's crazy like strategy to. that's <laughs> not crazy that's just looking at from your opponent's perspective yeah. right and and yeah. that's the same view that you have to take to every single problem that you encounter and every time i don't do that and i get wrapped up in my own strategy i look back in it and i'm like damn it's the same stupid simple <laughs> lesson that I, just beats me over the head every time and it's like not nuanced it's not complicated (laughs) you know it's one sentence and it's and it makes all the difference that's i think the biggest thing that's been sticking around in my brain for a long time but i just don't really know how to like get that out Hmm. (laughs) it applies very much to work as well right i mean even with the convincing people about stuff thing that we talked about like that is Crucial for that type of skill. How do you convince somebody of something, right? You don't think about your strategy and framework for you making logical points to convince them. You think about what they're dealing with right now. Why do they have the views that they have now? Like, how can you subtly shift their views around so that their views align towards yours? How do you get them to come up with the idea that you had without you ever saying it and then pitch it to you? And you'd be like, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. Like, that's what my boss does. Like, that's his way of convincing people for stuff. I'm like, that's why I make the big bucks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the the word that comes to mind is empathy, um, but it's that's a boring word. I, everyone everyone gets that empathy is important. I, I don't know. You, you need like a. It's a, not
1: a... even really that. It's just it's it's. Yeah, I guess it is that. I mean, it's 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 thinking from the other person's point of view, but more more importantly, like in this specific case it's thinking from an opponent's point of view whether that opponent is someone you're trying to like you know battle to the death you know obviously is not like (laughs) literally true but if you're trying to convince somebody of something whether or not they're your friend or not in that instance you can see them as an adversary and so you need to figure out how they're thinking in order to convince them
0: yeah yeah Um, um well yeah uh I, I i i bet there's been like a blog post or, or a book about how how to think like your enemy but it's not that
1: there's been a million right yeah. which is why i don't ever write anything
0: <laughs> <laughs> um the other i mean do you, uh do you, do you have you have you seen inception i, I think you have right um yeah, yeah, the movie. yeah. like I always in terms of convincing people i definitely think about things in that sense make it think it's make them think it's their idea um and, and that leads me down the line that that you're talking about, which is like uh, really you know try to put yourself in their shoes, get where they're coming from, their their context and their incentives and motives. Um, and then make them make them think it's their idea. And once once they once they have, then they're super convinced about it because it's it's That's their idea.
1: Though, That's really hard. And you don't need it for everyone either. Like if you can recognize that somebody is very pragmatic and rational, you don't not to need to go to those extents. Like within our team, we never pull that kind of shit. We just lay out the case for what our argument is, and then the other person lays out their case, and we kind of debate it back and forth, and we'll come to an agreement on it because we have long ago given up emotional attachment to our work ideas and acknowledge that what we're trying to do here is get work done in the best possible way. And if you can peg someone, and I know that you're like this, which is why I'm not trying to pull any like shenanigans right we're just talking through these things and going back and forth if you can peg somebody as operating that way you don't need to bother with that type of stuff right but mm. it's hard to do so and a lot of people don't operate that way so yeah i don't know man
0: yeah um yeah uh, well i'll think about it if I, if I if i come with like an interesting framing i'll, I'll pass it pass it on to you but uh, uh
1: it's good know. it's good to get in your I'll, head for I'll, a bit I'll, I'll... I'll write some stuff down uh, when I think of it
0: in the future. Yeah, just like you know, use it uh, as my inspiration here. The, 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 it's the three strikes rule, right? Like sometimes you just feel better about it if you, once you, once it's just out and you can just like not tell anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you don't think it's like the, the most groundbreaking idea, but like sometimes it's just good to get it out of you, um, and then and then maybe like you you free yourself up to to move on to the next idea because it's it's just <laughs> been baking in, in your in your head for too long. Um,
1: yeah i've got a bunch of stuff i wrote at one point i don't know if you've already seen this stuff probably you have but if there's anything in there that strikes your fancy i still think about all this life. type of stuff all the time this is like my brief stint in writing i did this after <laughs> i took a year sabbatical to travel and i just had so much floating around in my head that i had to get it out somewhere
0: what, what is this the independent encephalon movement that's that's that was
1: probably my craziest piece <laughs> that one's not like a, that's like a creative writing piece. Okay. I'm. I, I'd be curious to hear what you think about that one because that one goes real deep. This is at the point where I started being like, I don't think telling people my ideas is an effective way to get them across. I need to cloak them behind some type Stories. of like, yeah, some type of narrative yeah. or hide them behind some type of like puzzle that somebody can get to them like you know i i think that telling people stuff is not like largely it's not an effective way to communicate things i would read this i don't know i would read some i think it was um it was some stephen pinker book better angels of our nature that book was awesome but it talked about um you know how like books and and literature have have influenced like historical like movements and that how there were like certain books that helped lead to the abolition of slavery, not because they were like, here's why slavery is bad, like they're people, you know, it's fucked up, you know, but instead by telling a story about a slave that was captivating and people read the story and they never said anything about how slavery is bad. That wasn't even part of the book, but it was just the experience of reading it and seeing that different view that led to so much greater of an effect than it had been if they just wrote a book saying blah 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 and I looked back at this history of my own post and I was like man all these things are just laying out my reasoning for things I feel like I need to get I feel like I need to level up with my writing and not just be like you know simple and stupid like laying shit out and so I tried experimenting with a couple of creative pieces at the end but then I kind of like burned out on writing and I haven't put anything into this for a long time (laughs) yeah
0: um I think it's it's a mixed bag. Like sometimes people just want the point, um, and yeah, and like I do. Yeah, like don't don't tell me do. don't tell me like to, how you took long walks on the beach to get there. Um,
1: yeah, agreed. But like I think a lot of people, really, I think most people don't, uh, which is why I have to like shift my perspective. It's the same thing with convincing people, right? A lot of people, you have to do this like voodoo trick. Some people, you don't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, when it comes to writing, um, do both, like whatever, like do, do whatever you feel like doing and don't don't like second guess it, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that's, like if you feel like the story is like what really comes across to you and like something you're, that's the more interesting thing to write about, then I would do that. Um, and then once you're done with the story, if people want the TLDR, um, then you write the TLDR. Like it, it's not, the, it, you don't have to pick one format for the idea, you can you can have multiple formats that's kind of what I think about that
1: yeah I don't know I kind of feel like I got under this impression that like writing exactly what you're thinking is like amateur writing (laughs) and I'm not I'm I'm not sure I could be convinced out of
0: that Mm, writing exactly what you think okay got it yeah um
1: maybe I could I don't know it's something to chew on
0: it is you know, so I, that's
1: not a that's not a, a hit piece on anyone I write exactly no. what I'm thinking a lot and I recognize yeah. that that's amateur writing but if I really want to make something that's like start settling into the consciousness and changing the thought patterns of you know thousands millions of people it's not my goal to be clear, but if it was, I don't think I'd get there by just making a list of what I think literally, yeah, and I don't think anybody has It's so, a
0: package it up a little history. bit, yeah,
1: a lot. You know, you got to make people extract it out. Why do you do literary analysis, right? You shouldn't need to do literary analysis if people just wrote down what they were trying to say. But there's a reason we do literary analysis and there's a reason people don't just write what they're trying to say. It's a more it's a more effective way of injecting an idea into somebody's brain by wrapping it in a story and making them unpack the meaning of
0: it. I'll give you one example, which is not exactly what you're going for because I, I know you... you, you you're going for more sort of long form, uh, narration, um, storytelling.
1: It doesn't have to be long form. I mean, uh, that thing on my site is very short. It's a couple of paragraphs.
0: Yeah. Um, well, so this is, this is something I learned about recently, which like makes a lot of sense. It's, it's called the public narrative structure, which is you have, you have this, this idea, but you communicate it through three stories. Like you tell the story of self, like how you personally did, went through something that connected with this idea, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the story of us, like how we all have the same problem. And then the story of now, like why you should, why what you should do now to, to do about yeah. it. And uh, he has examples from uh, Obama's uh, uh, speech where he did like the the oh, public yeah. narrative. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Jeff yeah. Bezos, um, Elon Musk, like a lot of people when they do PR or they they try to get people get a lot of people to um, call them to action in public speaking, but in like a relatively short amount of time. They're they're not writing a book here. they they're just like literally like. You know, it's, it's these amount of sentences. Okay. Um,
1: but why do you think they lead with that story of self every
0: time? Authenticity, you know, authenticity. I mean, well, also like they—they they have, you know, all these people. They have that amount of clout that people are automatically interested in whatever they have to say about themselves. Um, which not, I
1: think that's the only way they can deliver it. I think if they left out the story of themselves, people wouldn't yeah. connect with it. They need to have that story and read about that experience and read about a person going through like emotions. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Anyway, I, I just thought like, since you were talking about wrapping yeah, ideas. Totally. Um,
1: I totally. This is a very valid way of wrapping an idea. There are many ways to do it. This, this, this is super interesting. Cause I, I definitely see that exact pattern like all the time you know yeah. Yeah. and and they could have just they could have just said what they wanted to say they didn't <laughs> do that for a very specific reason you know yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly well um it's, yeah it's, i that's mean cool stuff I'm sure you're thinking about that a lot as you think about writing more
0: <laughs> it's just a lot of ceremony and sometimes i just want to be upfront and just go like yeah you know, like, so, you know you say you know there's the there's difference between right to convince and right to think and i write to think like i'm just like this is my, this is my process right now. And I don't necessarily have an okay. agenda here.
1: I feel you. I feel you on that one.
0: Um, cool. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that that's about it. I, I feel like we we went for like a solid like hour and a half or something.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, that's a while. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's always good to, you know, yeah, it's always it's a- got a lot of interesting thoughts and in respect. So, you know, I've I've appreciated every chance I've had to chat with you then. Um,
0: yeah, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to pause the recording here. Um,